You're now listening to The Electrical Current, a podcast series brought to you by the independent electrical contractors. Welcome to the second season of the IEC National Podcast Series, The Electrical Current. I'm your host for this show, IEC National CEO, Spencer Vilwalk. Throughout this series, we'll talk with experts and key leaders throughout America to gain insights and direction on the past, present, and future of the electrical and systems contracting industry. Today, our featured guest is Aniban Basu. Aniban is the chairman and CEO of Sage Policy Group, an economic and policy consulting firm headquartered in Baltimore, Maryland, and offices in Indonesia. His firm provides strategic and analytical services nationally and internationally. He is an accomplished, leading expert economist with key focus on the construction industry. He's a graduate of Georgetown University, holds a master's in public policy from Harvard, holds another master's in economics from University of Maryland, a JD from Maryland, go Terps, and his doctoral work is at UMBC, go Terps again. Wow. Uh, hey, it's always great to uh, connect with my friend Aniban as he has provided key insight to IEC members back when I was at uh, in Colorado at IEC Rocky Mountain, and then again at the IEC National Business Summit a few years back. He's a leading expert in our country. Looking forward to gaining his insights and, and analysis uh, on the current economic climate that we've entered into due to the global pandemic of the coronavirus, COVID-19. Aniban, looking forward to our conversation today and like to officially welcome you to our IEC National Podcast, The Electrical Current. Well, thanks, Spencer. I look forward to chatting with you and uh, talking through some of the issues that uh, most impact your stakeholders. Terrific, terrific. Well, w- w- so what's going on? Uh, <laughs> what, what, uh, what, what page have we turned to in the world here, Anibon? <laughs> From an economic perspective, it's a supply shock. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what does that mean? That means the remedies that got us out of the 2007, 2008, 2009 financial crisis don't really work very well in this crisis. See, back then, here was the issue. We had had that phenomenal housing market. We had a lot of liquidity in the system. A lot of loans were made. Some were no document loans, but many weren't. But in any case, lots of people bought homes. Those homes became more valuable as people were rushing to the dream of home ownership, Mm -hmm. not just to live in a place that they could call their home, but also because of the notion that this was an investment that would keep returning. Mm. In 2005, 2006, many people stopped making their mortgage payments. In fact, a lot of people missed their first mortgage payment, Right, right. which which is a pretty good indication that somebody didn't do their job. Something's going wrong. (laughs) That's exactly right. We get that subprime mortgage crisis. All of a sudden, credit starts to tighten up because if people aren't paying back their loans, that reduces my appetite as a lender to make further loans. Demand for housing dries up. Those high home prices begin to buckle, collapse. Soon we have problems at Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, Freddie, Fannie, Citibank, so on and so forth. Lehman Brothers falters on September 15th mm-hmm. of 2008, and right. we're in the full-blown financial crisis. Right. Here's the thing. So the air comes out of the balloon. So the, if the air, the oxygen, or the air in the balloon, is cash and liquidity, Mm -hmm. that cash and liquidity comes out of the balloon. So what did we do? We blew the balloon back up, Spencer. Yes. You know, we have troubled assets relief program. We we recapitalize the banks. Right. We lower interest rates to zero. We engage in quantitative easing. 
and blast the Federal Reserve's balance sheet from $800 billion to $4.5 trillion. We put air back in the balloon, and guess what? That created the lengthiest economic expansion in American history, and that created a circumstance in which many of your members have significant backlog, Mm -hmm. they were growing, they entered 2020 with lots of confidence, and now, here's the thing, Mm -hmm. that 2008 crisis, that was a demand shock. This is a supply shock. So you can lower interest rates as much as you want. You can lower gasoline prices as much as you want. I can't go outside. I can't get to work. And so lowering interest rates to zero, which has already been done effectively by the Federal Reserve, doesn't do me a whole lot of good. And so that's where we are. Right, right. Um, in in have we ever seen anything like this before? You know, I mean, we're relating back to the the '08, but but have there been other economic times that um, you know that we can point back to for some sort of waypoint? We have never been through this before. Humanity might have been the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918. Right, uh, might be somewhat comparable, but of course, different economy, different times. Uh, you know, World War One's. Right implications at that time uh, or around that time. So um, different worlds. So we have not been through this. People can point to things like Zika, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, H1N1, Ebola, Mm -hmm. SARS, MERS, so on and so forth, all totally different, right? Because in those instances, the U.S. by and large was not that We were isolated, right. Right. We were isolated. Yeah. Now, SARS affected the travel industry. My, people mm-hmm. might remember in 02 and 03. Mm-hmm. But the broader U.S. economy, we still went to work. You and I still went to work in 2002, right. 2003. Right. Right. <laughs> you and I are having difficulty doing that right now. We're having to work remotely. And there are some parts of the economy where that works. Mm-hmm. But for much of the economy, it's about me getting into a lift, going to the supermarket, getting my groceries, getting back another lift, coming, you know, right. going downtown, maybe shopping a little bit more for whatever. That, that, all that stuff, face-to-face transactional stuff has mm-hmm. ended. And so, you know, we're looking at an economy that the second quarter of the year could shrink on an annualized basis by like 20 to 25%. I mean, right. that's where we are right now. You think, you think yeah, this will, any, any indication, you know, as to, you know, how long or, or any analysis that you have? And no, again, this is... This this wound is is uh, still in triage, right? Um, and and how we we work to apply the pressure. But um, you think you think that we'll be in this supply shock, as you said, for um, for the foreseeable future here in in the next quarter or so. I think that that's right. I mean, what what do we have here, Spencer? We yeah. have the evidence coming from places like China and South mm-hmm. Korea, and you know, and um, and so you know, we know. Mm-hmm. that the rate of infection can be contained, but we know that you have to basically destroy your economy to do that yeah. because it's only through social distancing. Right. And so, um, and people may not have much faith in Chinese data, as it turns out, but, mm-hmm. you know, South Korea, you know, is, you know, the 10th or the 11th largest economy in the world. Right. Uh, and, uh, and by and large, I think, you know, people trust the South Korean free media. And so, there, you know, I think based on that, best guess two three months but you know we've been in this crisis spencer now mm-hmm. for about two weeks right. as americans right. right it wasn't until march 9th when the market tumbled more than a thousand points that many americans woke up to the we fact that oh my up. goodness yes. yes and then all of a sudden the nba cancels the season and oh my goodness what, yep. what is going on here yeah and uh and now here we are and 
So we've never lived through anything like this before, Spencer. Yeah. So it, a lot of this is pure speculation. The good news is we have some data from East Asia, and we have some experience with H1N1 and mm -hmm. SARS and MERS, where there are breakouts in other societies. Hong Kong, for instance, really suffered from SARS, and they came back from that, and they came back from that strong. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So in, in, in order to, you know, thinking, let's, let's start uh, fast forwarding a little bit in, in order to be able to then realign um, and get supplies really back into, uh, into the marketplace and, and re-engage and, and start working on, a, on to recovery. What do you see are, you know, some of the factors uh, that need to be in place for the market and the economy to work to stabilize? Oh, well, we need uh, someone at the CDC, someone mm -hmm. in charge to mm -hmm. say, it's okay to go to work. Yeah. That um, green light. You know, it's okay yeah. to shop. It's yeah. a green light. Yeah. And it's dichotomous, right? It's, right? it's right now, it's don't go. At some point, it's you can go. But, you know, here's the issue. There might be a time during which, you know, Spencer, it's safe for us to go, but the CDC isn't quite sure. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the Boeing 737 MAX, right, right? Right. You know, people might be quite sure, you know, from a technical perspective that, okay, now this plane is safe, but there's still that lag from the policymakers. Well, we just want to make sure. Let's check this. And let's check that. Let's keep checking this. Mm -hmm. Let's wait a bit longer. And so what happens is mm -hmm. at some point there will be a circumstance in which it's really okay for us to go back into the world and re-engage one another. Right. Right. But the policymakers are going to say, let's just give it a little more time. And if you factor that in, then, you know, a, a good guess is we're in this for two to three months. Yeah, yeah. Even as you're mentioning the, yeah, the, the 737 MAX issue, it, yeah, it, it is drug on. The ping pong game is drug on so far that, that I'm, I'm not even clear as to where we sit with the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, like that it, it's been uh, debated back and forth in so many different ways. And then it comes back to, you know, a confidence issue in a lot of ways, I, I suppose, um, as well as then market-based and, and then where the, where the uh, political ramifications sit. So very interesting, very interesting. So, so a couple of months, a couple of months, okay. Um, and how do you think, you know, as far as like then uh, the, the entire global piece will, uh, and the global economy then fits back into um, what we'll see here at home in America? Do we look to some of those uh, earlier countries um, that, that experience this um, as models? Or um, what, what, is your, uh, what is your thought process there? No, I think we look to ourselves as the model. Mm, you mm, know, that, yeah. um, you know, we have been through the Great Depression as a country. And, yeah. you know, memories of that have faded. But, you know, there's a hist historical record of what we did, how we dealt with that. And again, that was a demand shock more than a supply shock. But mm -hmm. nonetheless, um, you know, we know what we did. It was extraordinary. Um, and so that's one of my reasons, Spencer, for optimism, yeah. believe it or not, yeah. which is, you know, this is going to be a V-shaped uh, recession and recovery, V-shaped, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. meaning that it's going to be short and vicious. It's, yep. um, and I'm, I'm quite sure about the vicious part. I'm not as clear about the short part as it turns out. That's a medical issue. That's a scientific or, you know, uh, epidemiolo epidemiological yeah. issue. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure about the vicious part. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the effect of epidemics mm -hmm. in other societies, whether Hong Kong in 2003 or many others that have been through these epidemics, the recovery from these periods is often very sharp. Yeah. And you can imagine that when we come out of this, there's going to be low interest rates, mm -hmm. 
a ton of stimulus in the pipeline. There are going to be lots of bargains, whether in financial markets or on retailers' shelves. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think a lot of people are going to take advantage of the fact that prices are low, gasoline prices are low, interest rates are low, mm-hmm. to start buying again. Yep. And as a result, because many manufacturers have shut down, whether General Motors, Ford, many others, right. to the extent that people are buying things today, to, and, and I, I understand that buying is not very aggressive right now, but to the extent mm-hmm. that people are buying items today, the inventories of certain items are falling. Right. And at some point, when we're able to go back outside again and re-engage this economy, those inventories are going to have to be rebuilt. Yes. And that's another aspect, that inventory rebuilding cycle mm-hmm. of that V-shape, the right side of the V, mm-hmm. the good part. Right. It's going to be a lot of fun to go back outside and see the Orioles. Right. Uh, and, and then, you know, welcome in the NFL. Yeah. And for those of us who like English football or yeah. Indian cricket, to right. see these things again. Right. And so... It's going to be fun, Spencer, when that time comes. The goal right now is survival, mm-hmm. physically and as an enterprise. Yes. A lot of electrical contractors are one to four people mm-hmm. and below $250,000 in annual sales. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we all think about those folks and the goal is for them to survive because while they might not be liquid at this very moment, they're solvent. They're ongoing enterprises uh, and we need them to survive this shock and get to the other side, which would be late summer into the fall. Gotcha. gotcha. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let, let's dive in uh, a little bit about uh, current conditions um, infecting the, the construction industry specifically, um, and even then more specifically, like IEC electrical contractors. Um, are, are there any uh, pieces that you know that, that you see then, and any recommendations um, as to how you see the current economic conditions over the next, this V-shaped aggressive curve, as, as you mentioned, how you see uh, electrical contractors weathering this storm at current um, and, and how to also then prepare for that rapid uh, uphill climb back to uh, a healthy economy and recovery. It's all about cash management right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an economist, first and foremost, but I'm also a small business owner. Mm-hmm. So for me, just like many folks, many of uh, the contractors... Um, for whom you work, yes. Um, I'm thinking about my accounts receivable versus my accounts payable. It's not that complicated, mm-hmm. you know. And right now, it's all about preserving cash. That's obvious. Mm-hmm. That's obvious. And so, one has to have a plan for the next 60 days, 90 days, 120 days about how they get to that 60 day, 90 day, 120 day mark with cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might mean, and I hate to say this, yeah but holding back on payment to certain vendors. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem, of course, because if everyone starts doing that, that makes the economic situation worse. Right. But again, we don't yeah. want to, yeah, we don't want to turn this problem of illiquidity because mm-hmm. here, here's the issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for a lot of these contractors, they had backlog. Yes. And backlog is protective mm-hmm. during downturns. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, you know, I'm, I'm also associate builders and contractors, chief economist, and also I'm the chief economist of the Construction Financial Management Association. So we do a lot of surveys of members. And members have been saying, we have lots of backlog. We've mm-hmm. got many months of work in front of us. And that's fine if it's a demand shock. Because mm-hmm. if it's a demand shock, I can keep working down that backlog and try to scramble for new work once I run through that pre-existing backlog. But when you have got a, a supply shock, I can't go into the customer's home. I can't go into the customer's business and do the work. 
And I'm worried now that some of the people who owe me money, my accounts receivable, aren't going to pay on a timely basis because they're trying to preserve cash too. And all of a sudden, I've got a liquidity problem that I did not expect and I should not have. So a few things about that. Mm -hmm. One, obviously, aggressively manage cash. And that might mean, and I hate to say this too, furloughs or dealing with that wage bill. Because mm-hmm. you got payroll every yes. two weeks, that's going to hammer down on cash if you're not getting receipts in during this period, or at least as, as had been anticipated. That's one. Second, mm-hmm. I'm quite sure that the Small Business Administration is going to be floating some low-interest loans. Mm-hmm. That will be part of that stimulus package. Right. Take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And there's even some talk that if you're able to take that loan and avoid any layoffs, you might be able to keep some or all of that money. Mm-hmm. There's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So look for those kinds of opportunities. What else is there to say? It's about cash management and getting to that 60-day, 90-day, 120-day mark mm-hmm. with you know some cash to be an ongoing enterprise, to then you know have you know, be in a position to start work again that has been delayed, postponed, so on and so forth, and take that cash and pay back one's obligations, and by this time next year be in far better shape. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Understood. Understood. Um, and and as as you know, you're well known, you're well versed. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of electrical contractors and a lot of businesses in America are small businesses. And um, yeah, cash management, um, especially in the construction industry, is is uh, always a, a difficult balance and difficult task uh, to be able to accomplish. Um, some of the yeah, some of the uh, strategies that that you mentioned there, yeah, regarding um, you know just managing, looking at that that uh, window ahead. Um, you know, taking a look at being able to try and finance the best way that you possibly can. Um, there inevitably there there may be um, some closures of different businesses across America. Or do you have any concerns or any any ideas around um, how this might affect just the overall small businesses in in the country? Oh, I think it's going to be devastating. Mm-hmm. We know for for whom too. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can already see restaurants. Some of them have given up. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of empty storefronts yeah. in the months ahead. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, this is America. We're a land of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I've actually already talked to some people who are thinking about starting a business, taking advantage of the current environment, the low-cost structure. Yes. For many of your contractors, yes. what has been the principal problem? They couldn't find electricians. Right. They couldn't find you know, skilled tradespeople, you know, skilled craftspeople. That's yes. been the challenge. And so as it turns out, mm-hmm. the ability to recruit skilled craftspeople whether electricians or others, is probably going to be better, mm-hmm. easier, yeah. um, than it has been in years. Yeah. And that's because there's going to be some dislocation. Right. There are going to be some people who are furloughed. There are going right. to be some people who are laid off. And so the atoms are spinning through the air all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You know, People have been holding on to talent as best they could. Yes. You know, raises, bonuses, promotions, whatever it is, You know, flexible work arrangements, whatever it was, because it was all about retaining the human capital, that scarce human capital. And as you know, you know, the electrical field is, is, is very much impacted by retirement mm-hmm. because the average electrician right. is in their Aging. late 50s, yeah. 60s, so on and so forth. Right. So, um, so holding on to talent has been that much more important. And it still is, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. it still is. But for those entrepreneurs among us, who are thinking about starting a new enterprise, who are in that position, if you think about it, this is a great time to do that mm-hmm. because everything is for sale right now. Yeah. 
and um, there's an opportunity to recruit, there's an opportunity to lease equipment cheaply or buy it cheaply, to lease space cheaply or buy it cheaply, so on and so forth. And so what can I tell you? Hmm. That's part of the V-shape. Yep, yep. That's, that's part of the pathway to, to recovery. In that's right. Ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and, and I've definitely have heard some anecdotal pieces of, of uh, both both sides of that coin um, from our uh, electrical contractors across the country of, of um, folks that are taking preemptive uh, steps to be able to then protect their cash flow and taking a look at their their labor forces and and trying to hold on to their talent as best that they possibly can, um, and uh, but yet you know protecting the, the overall business as a whole. And, and some are, a uh, couple of them that, that I've talked with have, have been looking at uh, going into furlough and a couple of them have acted on that. And then on the other side of the coin, I've also, you know, talked to some folks that are aggressively then working to recruit um, from that same talent pool in a way. So I think, uh, yeah, I think your, your observation is absolutely astute in, in uh, how it plays out within uh, some of the anecdotal uh, conversations that we've had um, within our, our entrepreneurs and our, our, uh, uh, clientele and, and the folks that we work with here at, at IEC and work to support. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit about the legislation that, uh, that's that been uh, going through our, our uh, federal government at, at somewhat of a lightning uh, pace. I'm curious of, of your analysis and, and uh, the role that uh, our government has had thus far and, and um, um, its impacts on, on businesses, its impacts on, on helping to apply uh, a bit of the triage, if you will, or, or just your overall insights on, on what we've been doing the last week or so in, in Congress and, um, you know, kind of where, where things sit from your vantage. As we're talking right now, Spencer, it's up in the air. Yes. There is no stimulus package. Uh, there are some uh, disagreements between Republicans and Democrats about how the package should be fashioned. No surprise, mm-hmm. is it? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's politics in America, and it happens to be a presidential election year. Right, right. But these folks uh, have got to act quickly. My hope is that there is, you know, roughly a $2 trillion package. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. may not be the last package, but that's my hope as we're having this conversation, mm-hmm. um, that some of it is targeted. And I'm just going to re- use very round numbers. But some of it, let's say $500 billion is targeted towards small business, trying to help them pay their bills so they can retain workers. And maybe some incentives there to hold on to workers through the crisis. So that's that's one piece. Another $500 billion, whatever it is, to households so that households can pay their bills. You know, they're, they're thinking, right, I'm about to miss my rent. I'm about to miss, you know, my mortgage. I'm about to miss my car payment. What's, what's going to happen to me? You know, I mean, that's, that, those are the conversations people are having right now in their homes. I would hope that there would be $500 billion or so for infrastructure, that this is an opportunity. If you think about it, mm-hmm. the federal government is rarely going to have an opportunity, if ever again, to borrow so cheaply. Right. So there's an opportunity here for them to borrow a lot of money. And don't get me wrong, Spencer. I understand the federal government has a $23.5 trillion national debt. Mm-hmm. And we're facing Medicare insolvency in 2026 and maybe sooner than that now. Who knows? Okay, right, so right. we've got some demons. To, you know, we, We've got some issues here. Mm-hmm. But we've also had an unprecedented crisis here, this supply shock. And so my hope is that we'll take this advantage, this this cheap money to try to pour some money into infrastructure because you know the American Society of Civil Engineers continues to rate our infrastructure at D or D plus. Right, right. We have so many deficits there. And by the way, deficits that electricians will need to be part of resolving. Absolutely. Whether at airports or other places around, you know, other forms of infrastructure. So so you know that that's another. And then 
you know, you know, it, it may be another five hundred billion dollars to bail out the big boys and girls, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. meeting the Boeings, the you know, and and the uh, and whoever else, you know, airlines and so on and so forth. And right. I, a lot, of, I believe me, I, I know that a lot of people listening to this are going to say that's not right. Let the market respond. We're not socialists. We we shouldn't have so much government intervention. Let the bankruptcy courts work it out. I understand that sentiment. Here's the problem with that logic. To rebuild a Boeing, to rebuild one of our major airlines would take so much time, it would mean that there'd be a lot of people out of work mm -hmm. for a long time. And one of the things that happens is when people are out of work for a long time, they give up. Mm -hmm. And you lose them from the workforce forever. Yeah. And uh, we don't want that kind of despair and dismay to spread across the populace. Mm -hmm. We need to keep this crisis as short as possible. Mm -hmm. And and ultimately, you have to take some bad medicine to do that. Mm, understood. understood. Well put. Well put. Um, is, is there a leading indicator, you know, that, that we can take a look at for, um, you know, that of this recovery, especially, you know, looking from the vantage of a an electrical contractor as as we then yes hit that the bottom of that v and start climbing back out um, is there anything that we should look to 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 uh, try to gauge uh, where the overall where we'll bounce back to if we bounce back to where we were at before or if uh, there's a new normal out there you know what i mean yeah, I know what you mean. I think the best leading indicator, a couple of them. Mm -hmm. First, I think, is the stock market itself, which yep. is a strange thing to say, Spencer, because the stock market was late to this game. You know, yep. we, you know, we at least theoretically knew about this in 2019, late 2019. This mm -hmm. is called COVID-19 for a reason. It was discovered in 2019. In 19, right. But by certainly by January, February, the markets were aware of it. And believe it or not, despite a skirmish with Iran, despite impeachment, and despite the early stages of the coronavirus crisis, mm -hmm. the markets were going up for much of that period. And so for me to say that that's something that someone should look to to see when this might end mm -hmm. seems kind of far-fetched, seems mm -hmm. kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's a perfect leading indicator, that's for sure. What I am saying is that when you start to see the market heading higher on a sustained basis, mm -hmm. that's a pretty good signal that the economy is about to follow. Yep. Yep. Now, we're going to see some false starts here because when we get the stimulus package passed by Congress, I suspect the market is going to all of a sudden head higher. Right. And then it might then come, you know, begin to fizzle again. And, and, and that, we'll see. But when you start to see a sustained rebound, uh, on the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. That's your signal that, hey, this thing's about to turn around. I'll give you a good example. Yeah. The market, the stock market bottomed in March of 2009. Mm -hmm. The recession ended in June of 2009. Mm -hmm. right. Right. So it was a three-month lead. And, um, you know, I'll give you another. Before the Great Recession, which began in December of 2007, the stock market hit its pre-recession peak in October of 2007. So mm. two months before the economy, the broader economy hit recession. So that would be my leading indicator. Another gotcha. thing I'd look at is um, initial weekly unemployment claims. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, you're going to see some massive numbers in initial weekly unemployment claims. I mean, people are going to be filing for unemployment in huge numbers for the foreseeable future, for the next few weeks. It's really going to be shocking to see the unemployment rate which recently has been at a 50-year low, down to 3.5% right. nationally, right. double and then more than that. It's going to happen pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but once you start to see some stability in initial unemployment claims, mm -hmm. 
um, and those data come out each week, so that's quite useful. Uh, then that's another signal to the electoral contractors that, okay, maybe the worst is behind us, and now we're getting toward that the better side of that V. Gotcha, gotcha. So I, I'm curious, too, if, if you have any, you know, you mentioned on, on the unemployment uh, percentage as a whole. And yeah, we've been at a sub 4% for quite a while, you know, record. We've we've been redlining this economy for quite some time. Um, I like the comments that you made around, um, you know, how it, it was a re- somewhat of a result of, of the last uh, economic recessionary period. So that should give us some optimism and hope um, from this, this uh, different circumstances, etc. But yet we will recover, we will be strong, and we will uh, surpass where even we were uh, in the past, but it's just a matter of time and, and um, how things go, but let's talk about um, yeah your thoughts on you know with a sub four percent unemployment. You mentioned doubling and even more. Uh, any any uh, analysis that you've seen or, or any thoughts that you have on you know where where the bottom of that V is and where that stabilization of current unemployment might be, um, so that we can start anticipating. Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, that's just pure speculation. It's yes. just a function of how long this lasts. You know mm-hmm. that. Each day longer than this last is more painful than the previous day, yes. right? Because you have a growing number of American people who all of a sudden are worried, I can't pay my bills. So right. there are a lot of people out there saying, if this lasts another month, I got this. I got that. I have enough cash in my portfolio. I have enough cash in my bank account. If this goes on for another four weeks or a month, I got this. Right. But then, there, you know, after that month passes, and it will, mm-hmm. They're going to have more and more people saying, you know, I've gone through that month, I got through it, but now this next month, I'm not so sure anymore. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, that proportion of the American household population that finds itself in that situation where they're not sure, you know, and all of a sudden they're thinking about, you know, um, maybe we should stop ordering food in for delivery because that costs money. We, we need to cook for ourselves. Right. Those kinds of things are going to happen more and more. Yeah. So each day that this lasts, this lingers, is more painful than the previous day. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, if, it, yeah. if, we, if we're still talking about this in 60 days, I would not be surprised if we're close to 10% on the unemployment rate. Yeah, yeah, understood, understood. Which was the peak, which was the peak, by the way, during the uh, Great Recession. Right, right, right. Yeah, de- a decade ago, yeah. Um, do you think, on the, on the backside of this, I, I mentioned to you, on, of climbing up that V, um, are we going to give it back to where we're at? Uh, any any ideas, or is it too early to tell? Depends on what you mean by back to where we're at. Right. right. Um, so if you're talking about the stock market, I think it probably takes a few years. A couple years, yeah. Yeah, and I think the reason for that is because we're doing a lot of damage to our fundamentals in trying to reduce the pain of the near term. Yes. In other words, you know, as as economists like to say, economists like to say a lot of things, but one of the things that we like to say is there's no there's no free lunch. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to spend two or three trillion dollars stimulating the economy now, at some point in the future, that's that two or three trillion dollars. Right. Yeah, right. apparently you don't, you don't have, right. So there's going to be some softness there in the very long term. And mm-hmm. I, that's one of the reasons that I hope that we put some money into infrastructure. Why? Because we know as a people, we need to become more productive and we need this economy to expand more rapidly on its own. Mm -hmm. We can't just cut taxes and interest rates all the time, and we can't run massive federal budget deficits all the time. We have to let this economy actually do the heavy lifting on its own. And that's going to be more true in the future than it is now or has been recently. Mm. And the way to do that is, one, make workers more productive, and two, grow the labor force. Mm -hmm. 
So one of the things that we need to really think about, I think, it's a, it's a controversial issue, but is the issue of legal immigration. You know, how much immigration is right given our growth targets, how much we need to grow, how many taxpayers we need to add so that we can pay Social Security benefits that have been promised, so that we can pay Medicare benefits that have been promised. I mean, we need more taxpayers and we need more productive workers. So that's one. How do we grow our labor force at a time when U.S. fertility is at, a, as, at its lowest on record? Mm. Our fertility rate right now in this country is 1.73. Mm. 2.1 is replacement population. So mm. without immigration, we actually lose population in the future. Mm. So that, that's one. The second thing is how do we make each of our workers more productive? Mm-hmm. How, you know, how do we make sure that businesses have access to the best technologies and that workers are able to utilize the services of the finest infrastructure? How do we get away from leaky electrical grids and clogged roads mm. and poorly functioning airports uh, and railroad stations that are falling apart and all the rest of it? Uh, that's, and how do we make sure that we have broadband in our rural communities? All right. of those things to make us more productive around the country. Right. Um, so that's why I hope we focus on infrastructure, but not shovel-ready projects, Spencer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shovel-ready projects are not necessarily the right projects for this. Mm-hmm. But really thinking about what kinds of projects would, would uh, position each reach of the country to really perform optimally. We mm-hmm. need that going forward. Yep. Yeah. Now, it, it, all, all the all the uh, the pieces that you mentioned in a way. I, mean, I guess uh, one question I want to ask is is around. You know, you mentioned uh, that that we're entering into the supply shock. Is is it is do you relate that back to some of the infrastructure um, stresses that we're we've been seeing, and and that is part of the supply as well? Do you know what I mean? Like um, that that's uh, part of the flattening of the curve, and why why people are, are being asked to to social distance and to to uh, you know keep away from one another is to be able to then keep up with the uh, the medical system and, and being able to then um, provide services to those in need and, and flatten out that curve over the course of time from this virus and the impact. Is is that part of the, the supply piece as, as well as then some of the infrastructure like, you know, broadband into rural communities, et cetera, et cetera, that are being maxed out um, from current demands that we're seeing even in this the last couple of weeks in a way? You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. So we know that there are not enough ventilators and gowns right. and masks and so on and so forth. And so for many decades now, Spencer, the goal in healthcare was to strip out costs. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been trying to reduce mm-hmm. the pace of healthcare inflation. And yeah. so we've tried to really strip out a lot of costs, even as the population got older. Yes. Even as we had more 65-year-olds and 70-year-olds and 85-year-olds and more utilization, therefore, of the system, we worked to strip out costs. Right. That, was, that was the game in America. Mm-hmm. And so guess what? Very few surplus ICU beds... Um, intensive care unit beds, very, mm-hmm. very, you know, not enough ventilators. So we don't have that spare capacity. And there's a positive to that, right? That's a market outcome. Why, mm-hmm. why would you have underutilized spare capacity? Sure, sure. But wouldn't it have been nice if this nation had a stockpile of ventilators, mm-hmm. masks, gowns, you know, um, yeah. you know, hand sanitizer, right. all of those kinds of things that are in such short supply now right. and and we're racing to try to create, yes. Yeah. And so I think part of the infrastructure package um, is, yes, to try to put more money into what I would call defensive medicine mm-hmm. or just-in-case medicine, which is, say, some spare capacity. It could be in warehouses, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It could be in the form of 
legions of retired healthcare workers, which we're not calling upon, who we're, who we're not calling upon to come back to try to provide some capacities. More and more physicians and nurses become ill with the mm-hmm. coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, we need that. Gotcha. That's part of what a society that plans for its own future does. And we haven't done that very well. Yeah. And we're paying the price. Right, right. So, so perhaps an outcome um, from this and, and a lesson that we'll learn is, is working to then ensure preparedness with, with the supply side of things. So could that be then more infrastructure, say, in the healthcare industry and in that we would be building more, more hospitals, um, you know, outfitting those hospitals, getting more stock supplies that are there? Um, any, yeah, we, we're, presumably, Anibon, we're, we're not going to go back to um, business and life as usual. Um, we're we're going to have some outcomes from this. I'm curious, you know, yeah, what you foresee is, is how... You know what? What? How will life change? Uh, and, and as it relates specifically, if you can kind of comment and in, in, uh, in the construction industry and and what we might be able to see that way. Yeah, I think what it is is this: it's not that we're going to have, you know, create these empty hospitals that will be ready if there's a crisis. No, that's right. not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about having plans in place so that if something like this happens again, the military, you know, is put into you know. Into, into, into forward action. motion right. to try to build temporary hospitals, to turn arenas and convention centers uh, into triage facilities, gotcha. so on and so forth. And we've got a plan, and we've got the facilities. And if you can't use the convention centers for conventions, and you can't use the arenas right. for basketball games right. or hockey, then those are perfect places in some sense to have you know large-scale you know, backup medical facilities. Right. Right? But of course, right. somebody's going to have to... And, and are contractors part of that? Of course they are, because... Yeah. The, the wiring, for instance, in an arena, I would suspect, is different, different to host right, a basketball right. game than host 500 beds right. you know, for ailing patients right. and for staff to have diagnostic equipment, so on and so forth. It's just different. That's interesting. And so um, yeah. th- that, those are the kinds of things. We need to have that latent capacity there, those plans in place. And, of course, electrical work is going to be a big part of that yep. because we're going to have to retrofit facilities yep. When the next crisis comes, that's, that's fascinating because yeah, it's kind of a disruption in thought as to um, single purposes behind different things and 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 uh, trying to make plans in preparation for that. And so yeah, that that's an interesting way to look at it. Is is that yeah, you, you wouldn't want to have a a hospital uh, just sitting there on the side in the same way that we have server farms just sitting there, you know, for for backup and and duplicity. Um, but uh, but but then having more of the flexibility to be able to then retrofit in a in a short order um, emergency response and needs um, through something like a yeah like your example of of a a, um, a stadium. You know, it's, it's well, look at what happened oh. with Katrina. I mean, yeah. it's nothing new. I mean, right, with Katrina, right. they if I'm not mistaken, they turned the Superdome into basically right. this holding facility for folks. It mm-hmm. was completely unprepared for that. You might remember how sure. awful the situation was with respect to the bathrooms and so on and so right. forth. So there was no plan around that. It happened accidentally. Mm-hmm. People went to the biggest building they could find where they could be safe from the flooding. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but imagine if there had been a plan. Right. And eventually a plan was put in place, but on an odd ad hoc basis. Yeah. But imagine if we went into this prepared as a society. And this is yeah. not partisan. This is not about one party versus another. This is just us as Americans being prepared for these types of crises or other types of crises yes. Yes. so that we can have adaptive reuse of facilities very, very quickly whenever the need arises. Yeah. Yeah. 
Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, Aniban, I, I appreciate our conversation this morning um, and appreciate you sharing some insights. Is, is there any other information on uh, current economic conditions that we haven't talked about or any information that you think would be helpful to guide our IEC uh, contractors through the current time? Well, I'm looking at changes in social norms. So, for instance, you know, um, you know, when a when a, an enterprise doesn't pay its bill, there are consequences. Isn't that right? There's, yeah. There could be penalties. Sure. I'm looking for the shifts in social norms where yeah. there's more forgiveness, where yeah. the late penalties are waived, and so on and so forth. I think, or the late fees are waived. I'm, I think we're going to see more of that. But people have really got to be thinking about how they fit into the new social norms. It may be that we return to the old way of doing business once the crisis has passed us, but right now we need to make space for one another, one another. Not, not just literally, yeah. but in terms of our financial interaction with one another. Interesting. You know, we need to be. I call it. Um, yeah, well, hmm. it is the great recalibration, and okay. we need to recalibrate how we're doing business right now with one another because we don't want great business relationships to turn into bad business relationships because of the short-term crisis. Hmm. The Great Recalibration. Have you have you written anything on this or that, that we can take a look at on, on your website or anything? I'm about to tweet. Aha, uh-huh, very good. This, but uh, about this notion of social norming yes. and so on and so forth. And how do we have some new rules of engagement during the crisis right. so that all of us can survive to the right side of that V? Yep. Understood. Well, Aniban, I want to thank you again uh, for for sharing your insights with us today. Uh, Very helpful. Um, We'll continue to stay uh, in touch. Um, um, Please, uh, yeah, any any information or any insights that you're coming upon, uh, please filter them over uh, to this side so we can make sure that we can inform construction industry and our electrical and, and systems contractors out there through IEC. Thank you so much, Spencer. Be well. Awesome. You too. And thank you to all of our listeners out there. This has been another installment of the IEC National Podcast Series, The Electrical Current. You can check us out over at ieci.org, and if you're interested in career opportunities within the electrical and systems contracting industry, you can always jump over to myelectriccareer.com to learn more and start more on your path to achieve your merit shop dreams. Let's hope that we all come out of this in that strong V, Anibon. I'm I'm, uh, optimistic and, and share your optimism as well that we will continue to survive, and not only survive, but will thrive. That's been the history so far, Spencer. Absolutely. Absolutely.